you ever get sidetracked when you're talking about something? Some of you know that I do, particularly in my preaching sometimes. I get sidetracked, go off my notes, and then I have a hard time sometimes finding my way back. My wife and I get sidetracked a lot when we're trying to have a conversation because most of the time when we're trying to have a conversation, this is what we hear. Mom, mom, dad, mom, dad, mom, mom, dad. And it's hard for us to get back on track because we're distracted by three kids. Well, Paul started giving instructions to Timothy in last week's passage. But he got sidetracked, and he provided us with a beautiful picture of the power of the gospel to save sinners. There's nothing wrong with getting sidetracked, particularly if you're talking about something as beautiful that Paul spoke about. There's certainly nothing wrong with it as long as you can bring it right back on track. Well, today, Paul brings it back to some of the instruction that he was originally giving to Timothy, his young disciple in the faith. Our sermon today is from 1 Timothy 1, 18 through 2, 7, and this message is entitled, Strong Faith and the Strong Salvation of Jesus. Strong Faith and the Strong Salvation of Jesus. Well, let's read the passage and then go from there, but before we read it, I want us to ask the Lord in prayer to speak to us. So let's go to him in prayer first and ask him to speak to us, and then let's read his word and listen for him to speak to us. Join me now in prayer. God, we do ask now that as we study your word, inspired by your Holy Spirit, written down by the Apostle Paul to Timothy and the church in Ephesus, God, we pray that you teach us as we study your word, living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Teach us your ways. Show us how we need to be more like you and how we can be more like you inspire us by your supernatural power. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's look at the passage. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the good fight, having faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and and have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered to Satan so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. First of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and for all those in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a herald, an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, and a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Okay, well, that is our passage for today, we're going to stop there for now. We'll pick it up next week. If you want to read ahead next week, uh, it gets into kind of some more detailed matters. In fact, some controversial matters. So don't read now. Don't get sidetracked. <laughs> read later when you get home. Okay, so let's learn what God might have for us in these verses. 
We find in this passage four spiritual actions, or actually three spiritual actions that Paul is charging Timothy with doing and leading others to do. These actions are certainly charges that we could accept as challenges for us as well because Paul was not only speaking to Timothy. As you'll see, uh, Timothy is one of what we call the pastoral epistles, meaning Paul is writing to pastors with pastoral um, advice. However, almost everything in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus, which is also a pastoral epistle, almost everything in there is also applicable to every Christian. Okay, so as you read this, read as if the Lord is speaking to you directly through the power of his spirits. So let us take on these challenges as our responsibility as well. Number one, first, we must fight for faithfulness. We must fight for faithfulness. Paul pointed out to Timothy that God had called him, Timothy, to this role of leading churches. In fact, we don't know the details, but we see that this moment was even prophesied. It was prophesied that Timothy would have this leadership role in churches. We don't really know a lot about it, but that's pretty neat to see that. And therefore, Paul tells Timothy in verse 18 to fight the good fight. Timothy must not lose heart. He must not give up. He must not be distracted. He must not be overcome by fear, discouragement, or apathy. He must continue to fight for faithfulness. Church, listen, we too must fight for faithfulness. We must fight to be true to all that God has called us to. You may get discouraged. You may get tired. You may get distracted. I assure you, I can tell some of you are distracted sometimes. I see you from the pulpit, okay? You may become tempted. You may be hurt by someone. You may be afraid or fearful at times. Listen, fight the good fight. Keep doing what you know God has called you to do. Keep reading the Bible. Keep praying. Keep fighting to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Fight to forgive others. Don't fight with others. Fight to forgive others. Fight not to gossip. Fight to have faith. Fight not to complain. Fight not to sin. Fight to trust God. Fight to have a good conscience. Fight to be generous. Fight to be a part of the church. Fight to be a part of fellowship with other Christians. Fight to be a disciple. Fight the good fight. This is what Paul is calling Timothy to, and this is what God the power of his Holy Spirit is calling all of his people to, to fight the good fight. And when we fight the good fight, we can look forward to the moment when Jesus will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Share your master's joy. You see, the Lord sees every time we fight for faithfulness, and he will not forget our struggle. He knows how hard it is to live on this earth he humbled himself and took the form of man and became humble to the point of death on the cross. Jesus went through it all. 
He has not given us any temptation or experience or challenge that he himself has not experienced. And he was faithful. And he is our model of faithfulness. And he's calling us to fight for faithfulness until the final moment when he will say, well done. Share your master's joy. Fight for faithfulness. Now we hear about two people in verses 19 and 20 who did not fight the good fight. Paul's not afraid of naming names if you haven't noticed that. And Paul says, Hymenaeus and Alexander were two who did not have faith and a good conscience. They did not fight the good fight. And Paul says that he delivered them to Satan. Some of you might wonder what that means. Well, I, I kind of do as well, but I think, I think I know what he's saying here. I think he's really indicating this pattern that Paul followed, this pattern we see in Matthew chapter 18. If you, I mean, we're not going to turn there necessarily, but if you read uh, the steps of reconciling with the brother or sister who has sinned against you in Matthew 18, you'll see that the final step in that process is that uh, if, they continue, if the people continually refuse to repent, you put them out of the fellowship of the church because they themselves are indicating that they do not appear to be followers of Jesus. By refusing to repent when they have sinned, they're indicating we're not actually followers of Jesus. And so you put them out of the church all the while praying that they would repent and come back to Jesus and to his church. So I think this is what Paul's probably talking about. He's saying, I delivered them over to Satan in the sense that they are following Satan already. They're not following the ways of the church. So I'm saying, have at it. Go follow the way you want to follow. But you're not going to be a part of this church if you're continuing to re uh, refuse to repent to follow Jesus and his ways. I think that's probably what Paul's talking about. But nonetheless, we see that they are not the models we want to follow. Let me just make it very clear for you. Do not be like Hymenaeus and Alexander. Do not refuse to fight the good fight. Do not refuse to have a good conscience and to have faith. Let us resolve, church, not to give up any ground to evil or to sin in our lives. Let us fight the good fight. I've said this many times before. Um, as I get older, I don't remember when the last time I said something was. However... One of the greatest lines in any Christian book I've ever read was a line by um, uh, Francis Chan in his book, Crazy Love, where he says, if life is a river, Christianity requires you to swim upstream. If life is a river, Christianity requires you to swim upstream. And if anybody knows what it's like to swim upstream, I have swam, swam upstream many times. I love swimming. I love to get in creeks and rivers and things like that, especially when I was younger. When you go upstream, you must fight. It's hard to go upstream. The moment you stop fighting, you start going the other way. Paul is saying to Timothy, fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. Church, we must fight for faithfulness. You will not be a faithful follower of Jesus on accident. You will only do it on purpose. Number two, number two action we can take, we must pray for people. We must pray for people. This is an easy one. If you ever aspire to be a preacher and you want to figure out a passage that is easy to figure out what it means, this is one right here when he talks about prayer. Paul says, I urge, in verse chapter 2, by the way, now, we've made it chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, I urge that petitions, prayers, 
intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone. I mean, that's, what does that mean, Pastor? That means we should pray for everyone. There you go, right? It's very clear. We should pray for everyone. Now, some of you might say, well, why does he say petitions, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving? Why does he say all that? Uh, most experts believe that what Paul is doing here is putting emphasis. He's just saying pray all sorts of prayer. He might be saying pray all types of prayer for all people, right? Pray every type of prayer for every type of person. Paul's calling us through uh, emphasis to pray all the time for everyone that we can. Paul then transitions. He says, first of all, oftentimes he does this at the end. He, he says all these things, and then he says everyone else. Well, Paul starts this time with the all, but then he gets specific. He transitions to say, this is some for whom we can pray. He says, pray for everyone, and then he says to pray for kings and those in authority. I just want to tell you, I am proud to be American. I'm glad we don't have a king <laughs> in our country. I'm really glad, okay? I, I have nothing against kings, but I, I like a democratic republic, okay? I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of that. So we don't have kings in our country, but we certainly do have those in authority. We do have those in authority, those whom we have elected or have been appointed by those whom we have elected. And so my question to you, church, and this is not for you to answer out loud necessarily. Some of you do anyways all the time. But do you pray for those in authority? Do you pray for those in authority? Here's another question. What if you didn't vote for them? Do you still pray for those in authority? Paul gives this motivation that we are to pray for those in authority. He says, this is the motivation. So that we may lead a tranquil, tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Now, it's not crystal clear exactly what he means by that. I think he means at least two things. I believe that when he says that we should lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity, by the way, tranquil is not a word we use every day. It basically means calm and peaceful. Kind of, he's kind of being redundant when he says tranquil and peaceful. But I believe it means at least two things. First of all, I believe that Paul wants us to pray for those in authority so that there might be peace and prosperity in the land. Because it's easier to have freedom of worship, it's easier to freely share the gospel when there is peace in the land. And again, remember Paul's day and time. Okay? That he was not living in the United States of America where we had freedom of worship. Okay? They were facing persecution. Paul had been jailed for his faith. Paul himself used to persecute Christians. So he knows there is not always peace and tranquility in the land. So I think he's praying this. I think he's saying this is part of the motivation. When there, is, when there is chaos and calamity in the land, we do not have peace. So we should pray that our authorities can, can, give us, can lead us in peace. That's, that's part of it. By the way, just a side note, I get sidetracked sometimes. I'm sidetracked now, on purpose. One of the things that's worth noting and pointing out is oftentimes when persecution is the worst for Christians is when the church is the strongest. That's a noteworthy thing, but I do think Paul is praying, generally speaking, we should have pray for peace in our land. I think that's a worthwhile prayer. But the second thing I think Paul is getting at is he means that when we pray for our authorities, we are showing them honor and respect. We are showing them honor and respect. 
You might say, well, well, how do we, what does that have to do with anything? Well, again, Paul says that we would lead a tranquil and quiet life in godliness and dignity, that we should have godliness and dignity. And don't forget, Paul said elsewhere, for instance, in Romans chapter 13, verse 1, Paul said, let everyone submit to the governing authorities since there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. We've talked about this already. It wasn't that long ago that we were in the book of Romans. And you may remember, Paul does not say only the authorities you like were instituted by God or only the ones you think follow your Christian convictions were instituted by God. Paul says all authority, there is no authority that exists that was not instituted by God. So when we pray, we honor our authorities. Okay, this is not the only place Paul says it. Also, we see in Titus chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, Remind them to submit to rulers and authorities, to obey and be ready for every good work. Paul is lumping submission to authorities in with good works of a Christian. And then we see also from Paul, Romans chapter 12, verse 18, Paul says, If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Paul just talked about peace in 1 Timothy in our passage today, and now he's saying again, if we can control ourselves, we should do so by living at peace with everyone that we can. You can't always control that, but you can control a lot of that. And part of that, I believe Paul is telling us, is done by praying for those in authority, that we might be people of dignity and peace, and that they may lead us with dignity and peace. So this idea of us honoring authorities and others by praying for them and living at peace ourselves is a command that Paul has submitted to his readers multiple times. This is not new information. This is an easy one to understand. It's not always an easy one to do because oftentimes what we see is only praying for those we like and then fighting for our ways in every other way. Kind of the opposite of what Paul said to do, actually. But if you look at verse 3, how does God feel when we pray for others? Paul says, this is good and it pleases God our Savior. If you were to say to me, Pastor Matt, can you tell me one way that I can please God? Yes. Pray for everyone, particularly those in authority. That's easy. It's an easy answer. Pray for everyone, particularly those in authority. In church, let's seek to praise God our Savior. Let's seek to do that. I mean, it's, if you want to know how you can please God, pray for everyone, including those in authority. Finally, the third action we see is we must speak for salvation. We must speak for salvation. Look at the passage again, starting in verse 3 of chapter 2. Paul says, this is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a herald, an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. And a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Listen again to the salvation language that is found in this passage. 
In verse 3, Paul says that God is our Savior. In verse 4, he says that God wants everyone to be saved. He speaks of Jesus being our mediator in verse 5. Many of you know what a mediator is, but in case you don't, a mediator is when two people can't seem to get along for whatever reason and somebody comes in the middle and says, let's straighten this out. Okay, let's hear what y'all have to say and let's work it out. The Bible says Jesus, Paul says Jesus is our mediator between humanity and God. We had a problem between humanity and God because God is holy, just, righteous, and he has a right way. And we, in our sin, as we learned about last week, have rejected God's ways. We've done our own thing. We've rejected his law, and we said we can handle it on our own. And that caused a tremendous problem between us and God. And it led to judgment. It led to, to uh, a real place called hell being the, the eternity that awaits us without Jesus. And God loved us so much that he sent his son to be the, the atoning sacrifice, meaning to be the payment through his sacrifice, and to be our mediator, to work things out between us and God. And the Apostle Paul says, for there is one God and one mediator. He's the only hope. He's the only hope we have. As Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. None of that was on my, in my notes. That was a sidetrack. Okay. But I hope it's helpful to you. And Paul wants to make it very clear. That was just verse 5. But he says in verse 6 as well that Jesus was our ransom. Some of you have watched movies with kidnapping, and you know oftentimes there is a ransom. Give me $100 million, and I'll return your puppy. Okay? There's a ransom price. Jesus paid the ransom for us to be brought back to God. He is the mediator. This is awesome stuff. I hope you love it. I love it. Paul wants to make it very clear that God has provided salvation, and that salvation is found in Jesus. In fact, Paul says in verse 7, he wants to make it really clear, and he says in verse 7, I was appointed a herald, a herald to tell people about the message. Now, most of us never use that word, word herald except at Christmas time when we say, hark the herald, angels sing. And we don't even know exactly what that means. A herald is somebody who captures the attention of people to tell them a message. This could be a herald. Okay, you capture the attention of people to tell them a message. In fact, I am a herald every Wednesday night. Well, I say some Wednesday nights. Right about 5.40 or 5.45, I'll walk up to the microphone in our fellowship hall next door. As folks are eating, I'll grab the microphone, and many will be waiting with anticipation. We know what he's about to say. They can't wait. And I say, seconds! <laughs> and people go and get seconds of the food. They can't wait to hear the seconds. They'll come to me, Pastor, are you going to call seconds? You're going to say, well, be patient, be patient. Or I'll say, sorry, we had just enough food this week. And, oh, man. So they, 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 it's, a, it's a herald moment to make this announcement, seconds. And Paul says, I was appointed a herald for the message of the gospel. Church, may we accept that challenge to be heralds 
for the gospel. We must speak for salvation. There is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved than Jesus. There is one God and there is one mediator between God and man and his name is Jesus. God's word constantly reminds us to speak the salvation message. I could spend all afternoon quoting verse after verse after verse where God has called us to share the message. We must speak for salvation. We must be heralds for the gospel. This past Thursday, I know many of you were here for a great triple L that we had. Uh, I was in West Palm Beach, not enjoying the beach. I was at a pastor's conference. It could have been anywhere. It just so happened to be in West Palm Beach. And as I was there, I was at this table and the security guard that was there, it was a larger church, the security guard came up to me and he wanted to talk to me. I think he thought that I worked at that church. In fact, several people thought I worked at that church, so I just started answering questions as best I could. But this man said to me, hey, I need to talk to you for a second. I said, sure. His name was Gabriel, and Gabriel said, uh, how do I get baptized at this church? And I said, well, I'm glad you asked. I, I don't work here, but let me do the best I can. So I did tell him, I said, I am a pastor, so I do know some of the things that I know you have to do to, to get baptized. Uh, one of the questions I asked him, I said, do you go to church here? He said, no. I said, that's step one. Start coming to church. <laughs> okay. So, but also I said, uh, are you a follower of Jesus? And we talked for a while, but listen, church, that is the most important question I asked him. Are you a follower of Jesus? For those of you who have been baptized here, that's always my question to you as well. Have you actually been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ? Are you a follower of Jesus? That is the most important thing for anyone to hear, is are they a follower of Jesus? And if the answer is no, the most important thing they can hear is how they might become a follower of Jesus. Church, the, must, the, the gospel must be proclaimed. We must tell people that Jesus really lived. He really died. He really was buried. He really rose to new life. He really ascended to heaven. And he really is coming again. We must be heralds for the gospel. We must speak salvation we must fight for faithfulness we must pray for people and we must speak for salvation let this bottom line summarize paul's instruction to timothy in this passage the salvation of jesus must be our focus the salvation of jesus must be our focus that is why we fight for faithfulness because jesus has saved us that is why we pray for people, because Jesus is the only hope for the world. That is certainly why we speak for salvation, because Jesus is the only hope. The salvation of Jesus must be our focus. Jesus saves us, saved us, and he wants to work through us to bring salvation to others. I remember when I was a young boy, I was on a mission trip in Jamaica, and uh, I had the chance to share the gospel with some kids. I barely knew how to tie my shoes, but I was sharing the gospel. And I say that. I was like 13, but I'm just saying I wasn't that smart is my point. I could tie my shoes. But it was nothing special in me. And I remember sharing the gospel with this group of children, not much younger than I at the time. And I said to our youth pastor's wife, I said, I saved one kid. That kid, I saved them. And she said to me, you didn't save that kid. <laughs> Jesus saved that kid. And, you know, Debbie was absolutely right. I didn't save that kid. Jesus saved that kid. But listen, don't miss this. Jesus worked through me. And he wants to work through you. His method of sharing the gospel, bringing the gospel to a lost and dying world, is through his church, through his people, 
through his disciples, through his children. So we must remember Jesus saved us and he wants to work through us to save others. The salvation of Jesus must be our focus. We must fight for that, we must pray for that, and we must speak for that. Everything else in our lives and everything else in our church should take second place to the salvation offered through Jesus. Challenge yourself this week in the following ways. Weekly challenge number one, commit to pray for people. Commit to pray for people. It's a fairly simple thing to commit to, but many of us struggle with it. We forget, we're distracted. I want to encourage you to uh, perhaps take a piece of paper. If you want to take one of our connection cards home with you, you, you can do that, whatever you want to do. Just If you don't have any paper at home for some reason, take a connection card. And write on there, pray for people. Maybe you want to write some specific names. Put it on your mirror or in your car, perhaps. Some of you, uh, some of you are like I am, and you are fairly proficient with technology, and you like smartphones and things like that. Uh, there's a wonderful app for uh, smartphones called the Echo Prayer app, E-C-H-O, Echo. Uh, some of you might want to use that. It reminds you to pray. You can put prayer requests. There's other prayer apps out there. I don't work for Echo. I'm not getting paid for this, but I use that app. It's just a way to remind you to pray for people. Commit this week to pray for other people. Pray for your friends. Pray for your family. Pray for your church. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your coworkers, your teachers, your neighbors. Pray for our city authorities. Pray for our county authorities. Pray for our state authorities, our national authorities. Pray for the authorities of other countries. Jesus even said, pray for our enemies. Pray for your enemies. Commit this week to pray for people. Weekly challenge number two, commit to fight for faithfulness. Commit to fight for faithfulness. It is not easy to live the Christian life. It's not. Why, you, some of us might wonder, why is that? Why is it not easy to live the Christian life? Well, the reality is Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. Why would Jesus say that if it's actually hard? Well, I know the answer. I'm glad you asked. The reason is, is because we take our eyes off of Jesus. We're living in this world, and oftentimes we're still looking backward towards what we have left behind in our past. We're looking back at that. We're yearning for that still instead of keeping our eyes on Jesus. You know, sometimes when I'm trying to get my kids to really understand what I'm saying, I, I look at them and I, and I say, look at me. Look at me. Sometimes I have to physically grab the sides of their face and just say, look at me. And the reason is because what I have for them is important. And I'm not perfect, but usually what I have for them is better than whatever they're doing at the moment. Not all the time. But your heavenly father is perfect. And he never gets it wrong. And he wants us to fix our eyes upon Jesus. To fix our eyes upon him and not look back. What Jesus has for you is so much better than the distractions of this world. So fight for faithfulness. Fight to turn your eyes upon Jesus. And the things of this world will become less attractive 
the things of this world will be less distracting. As we will sing in just a moment, the things of this world will grow strangely dim. Don't be distracted by sin. Don't be distracted by stuff. Don't be distracted by selfishness. Fight for faithfulness. Fight the good fight. Fight to be like Jesus. Now, for those of us who know Jesus, there's a promise that when we pursue him, he is faithful. He will give us his Holy Spirit, our helper, our counselor, our friend. He will help us grow to be more like Jesus. He will help us become more and more holy every day. If we seek him, he will never stop drawing us to himself. And he has promised us that he will never let us go. But listen, if you don't have Jesus in your life, you can fight all you want to be like Jesus and you'll just be spinning your wheels because you can't be like Jesus without having a relationship with Jesus. You can fight to be as holy as you want. And there are some people in this world who seemingly do good things and don't know Jesus. They do. I'm, I want to admit that. They seemingly do good things. But here in the eyes of God, the prophet Isaiah tells us the greatest thing we can do is like filthy rags in the sight of God. The Apostle Paul said elsewhere, there is no one righteous, not even one. Without Jesus, the best we have to offer is totally incomplete and unable to save us. But that's why the Bible says, but he was faithful and just to forgive us of all of our unrighteousness. Jesus is faithful. If we ask him to forgive us, if we admit that we are sinners and we need to be saved. The Bible says if we believe that Jesus really is the Son of God, He really came to the earth, He really died, He really rose from the dead, He really ascended into heaven, and He's really coming back again. If we believe that and we ask Him to be our Lord and forgive us of our sins, He is faithful and He will forgive us of all of our unrighteousness. And then we can continue to pursue becoming more and more like Jesus. We can fight for faithfulness, and he will fight with us. So if you've never given your life to Jesus, in just a moment we're going to sing, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. I want to invite you today, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, turn your eyes upon Jesus. If he saved you from your sin already, turn your eyes upon him. Thank him for your salvation, and ask him to help you through the power of his spirit to fight for faithfulness, to pray for others, and to Speak for salvation. And if you don't know Jesus, come be saved. Come be made new. Come experience new life that is only available in Jesus. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Come experience abundant life in Jesus and be changed forever. As we sing, you can come speak to me. You can say, Pastor Matt, you can tap me on the shoulder or just walk near me. I'll see you. And you'll say, Pastor Matt, I need to know more about following Jesus. Pastor Richard, our pastor of youth, will be standing right here. It doesn't matter if you're a youth or not. He's glad to talk to you. Come down here and say, I need to give my life to Jesus. Or I need to know more about how I can faithfully fight the good fight. Or I need you to pray for me. However God is leading you, please be obedient. Please be obedient to how the Lord is calling. Fight for faithfulness if you're a follower of Jesus. And come and see how Jesus has fought for you so that you could have new life if you've never given your life to Jesus. Pray with me now as we prepare to sing.